Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. My name is Matt. My wife Jackie and I, we're the lead pastors here at Fountain, and we've been in a series entitled Masterpiece. And it's, it's really looking at the masterpiece of a sermon that Jesus preached, his Sermon on the Mount, arguably probably the best sermon ever preached on the planet. And, and we can't unpack the whole sermon. We're taking four weeks and we're just diving into a couple of implications um, of, of the text. And so I, I want to jump right in. Look at your name or say it's going to be good. Say so get focused. Let's go. I, I want to speak to you from this idea or this reality of mindset. Mindset. Now, I, many, many of you have probably seen this movie. It's called Catch Me If You Can. It's about a true story of Frank Abinell. He was a con artist. And starting at a very young age, in his teens, he learned how to forge checks, get over on banks. It said that he lived in over uh, eight different identities before he was the age of 22. Uh, he masqueraded as an airline pilot and traveled the world. He masqueraded as a physician, even entering into like some surgical rooms and procedures. I mean, you have to be a con artist to navigate your way around that. Uh, he he uh, imposed. Uh, he he posed himself as a prison or a, uh, like a um, like like a uh, like a federal agent. I mean, there's so many different identities that he portrayed. And in fact, he built a life around each of those identities. And once they got compromised, he would then take on a new identity and play it out. The problem is, is if you wear so many masks, you eventually forget who you are and you find this division between who you're portraying and who you actually are. And so I want us to lean in to this today because I think that all of us can understand, maybe you haven't falsified your identity, but all of us know how it feels to be divided at times. Sometimes when we're making decisions, we feel divided, like we wanna make this decision, but we don't know if it's the right one. You know, for me, I'm kind of that guy where God doesn't always just part the heavens for me and say, hey, Matt, this is the path, walk ye in it. A lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times God gives me like five doors and says like, what do you think? I'm like, God, could you just make it a little bit easier on me? Um, but, 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 you know, there, there's moments where we just don't know what to do. We, we feel conflicted. Sometimes it's in regards to direction. We're at a crossroads and, and we're trying to figure out which way do I go. We really want to go this way, but we're torn because we really believe God may want us to go that way. And we find ourselves in the fight. Sometimes we find ourselves, uh, find ourselves divided relationally. Meaning, and that can be on several different levels. Maybe you're in a, dis a disagreement with your spouse or a friend or a family member and there's a division in the relationship. Or maybe um, the enemy has come with some temptation and you find yourself torn between different things. If you're single, the enemy loves to bring uh, opportunity when you're single, ladies and gentlemen. Are you with me? To say, hey, walk this way, and you feel that divide in your heart of, oh, I want to do this, but Lord, I know that you're saying this. And, and it, it's so tough. I think one of the hardest divides is temptation. Because we find ourselves in a moment between what we know to be true, but yet what we really desire. And it's just a conflict in our heart. It's a spiritual war fighting this, this tearing on the inside of us saying, Lord, I need you. Do I trust you in your way or do I follow my preference, my opinion, and my desires? And it creates 
a, a, a division on the inside of us. And this division with God, too, is it's huge. It's incredible that when we're struggling in our, our faith in him, our trust in him, how many of you guys know that relationship at that point, it becomes fractured, it becomes divided because, Lord, I'm not sure if you can be trusted. I'm not sure if your character can be counted on. In fact, James says it this way. James says, when you ask him, like when you come to the Lord in prayer, you must believe and not doubt because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, divided in their mind, divided, divided on the inside of them, and is unstable. So what is that? That double-mindedness produces an instability in all that they do. It's, it's, it's a division on the inside. Can I just tell you, when, when there's a divide, when we're divided in our mind, so many times we find ourselves missing out. I love what James said. He should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Like When, when our mind is divided between God and something else, there's, there's instability, but there's also loss. I think about Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10, two sisters, famous story. If you haven't read it, you can go back and read it. It's a great story. But Jesus is coming to their house, and Martha, she's a great woman. She's preparing everything. She's getting every, you know, setting the tone, lighting the candles, putting the little, you know, Jesus music on, and just, just setting the tone. Jesus is coming to the house. Put our best foot forward. Light the candles, the incense. Make sure the bathroom is good. Put the, you know, the best-selling you know, book on, on top of the toilet so everybody thinks that you're a spiritual individual, right? <laughs> the Bible right there. And so, so Jesus is, is, is arriving at their home, and Mary, she's kind of the opposite. She, she's just all in her field. She's just, Jesus, I want to hear from you. I'm going to be with you. Forget about the house. Just let me sit at your feet. Right? Now, now a lot of times Martha gets deemed as a wicked person, and I, I don't think that. She wasn't wicked. She was just distracted. Like her heart was in the right place, but we're going to learn some things about our heart today. Our heart may, we, we, we may think we're in the right place, but we're really not. Yeah. You ever say that? My heart is in the right place. It's all about my motives. It's not my motive. And so, and so, so we can find ourselves in, these, in this place, and she's all about the preparation, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha looks at her sister like, Lord, can you tell her to get up and help? Oh, lazy Mary. And, and, and the Lord looks at her. I mean, just with all the grace, I assume in the world, he said, Martha, Martha, Martha. I mean, you are, you, you are worried about so many things. And the, the original wording in this, it means to be pulled about. It means to be strac- distracted. It means to be overoccupied with something. I'm too busy. I'm, I'm all over the map. And, and in the process of that, what ends up happening is, as Jesus said, Martha, you're all over the map, but what Mary has chosen, she's chosen the better. And what she has chosen will never be taken away from her. Meaning she's about to receive something that you're not going to be able to receive in that place of division, in that place of distraction. You're going to miss something. And I don't know about you, but I, don't li- I hate missing out. Yeah. I do not like to miss out on things. Matter of fact, I get upset when other people cause other people to miss out. Like, I'm not a sports guy at all. Like, really, I'm not. I, I didn't even know who was playing in the Super Bowl until, like, the week of. I'm that guy, right? And, but, but I do know the feeling of, of watching a game and, and having the ref make a very bad call. And, and there's a frustration. I've watched grown men yell at the television. Like, hello! 
Are you, are you watching the same game that I'm watching? And they, they, they yell things like this, where's your focus? What are you looking at? As we're like on our big screen TV with like an up close shot, the ref is scrambling on the ground trying to figure it out. What are you doing? Where's your focus? Horrible call. Who paid you? We just get so, some of us have to, you may need to repent today. You've yelled at your TV so much. You may just need to come to a place of repentance. But, but, but it's in this place of division, of distraction that Jesus begins to preach his sermon on the mount. People are all over the map when it comes to what they believe. They're, uh, they're, they're seeing the power of God demonstrate, be demonstrated through Christ. And now they're all coming from all different regions, sitting down. Some may be standing up wanting to hear what in the world is this man going to say? You see, see, the backdrop of the conditions of Israel right now, they were in a desperate place. They were in a desperate place politically, economically, um, uh, religiously, and spiritually. I mean, it, it's, it's been pretty bad. For almost 100 years, in, in spite of a little bit of reprieve here and there, they have been oppressed by a foreign ruler, and they're limited in their freedom. Uh, as far as the economy goes, every time they would kind of get ahead, they would just end up paying more in taxes, and Rome would get the majority of the money. So it's just a very frustrating place. And this was common, this was a, a common struggle for everybody. Like everybody was experiencing this in the region under the hand of Rome. But, but Jesus came on the scene and, 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 and wanted to point out an obvious struggle that wasn't really obvious to everybody else. Everybody else was so focused on the political climate, the economy, and all this stuff that was happening. And Jesus is like, man, I've come for a, a, a totally different reason. I've come for a very obvious problem that's worse than all of your other problems. And the problem was that the, many Jewish people couldn't see it. The Jewish religious leaders definitely didn't see it. But it was a bad problem. See, the Jewish leaders thought, we're doing pretty good right now. Uh, like, we're following the law, our traditions. We've even created some more laws and traditions. And like, we're going to usher in the Messiah. He's going to come and take care of these Romans and solve our political issues, solve our economical problems. And then Jesus came, and he's like, I'm, I'm not actually going to deal with any of that. And I am the Messiah, and I'm preaching to you on a mountainside, and you're not going to like to hear what I have to say. But it's necessary if you want to be hashtag blessed, right? And so, so Jesus is going to address a spiritual problem a condition of the heart. Now, it's, it's, really, it's really disappointing and really discouraging. Like, if you don't see that your heart is divided and that something is wrong, you miss out on a lot. And, and the Pharisees, they just couldn't see that. It, it was all about their do's and their don'ts. Their traditions and their rituals began to become more authoritative than the scriptures. And they were just constantly heaping more on the people. The people were exhausted. And in the whole process of all their rules, all their traditions, all of their legalities, they totally missed the heart of God. And as a result, their hearts became divided from the one that they profess to be the truth. They began to focus on something totally different, and the people were utterly exhausted. They, they began to be more focused on self and what they're doing rather than focused on God and what he was doing. Are you guys track with me? And it was in this moment that Jesus drops the mic as he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, a lot of times when we think about purity, kind of the popular definition today would be sensuality or when it comes to sexual purity and such, which is, 
is, is fair, but, but it's so much more than that. It, it, that's kind of the normal place to go to, but, but the word pure in the Greek, it actually means to be without mixture, to be unpolluted, to be without alloy, meaning alloy is a bunch of metals that are mixed together. It means to, to, to be unmixed. And then he says, to be unmixed in your heart. The word here is the word cardia. That's where we get the word cardio. It's, it's the inner man, the personality, the motivation, right? The, the attitude. But then it's so much more than that. Scripture talks about the, the heart as being this, this seat of the thinking, our thinking and our will. Our will. Our will is a powerful thing. I hope you know that. It's, it's a powerful thing. And, and the way that we think is huge. So I want you to be unmixed in your attitude in your motivation, in your focus, in your thinking, in your will. A single focus. And in that place, you're going to see in a way that you've never seen. Are you guys with me on that? It's, it's huge the way that we think. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What Jesus was saying was this, blessed are those who are single-minded, whose eyes are focused on God alone with an undivided heart. And I think we can appreciate this. Anybody like an undivided heart? Anybody just wake up in the morning like so grateful that I'm in relationship with somebody with a divided heart? <laughs> right? We don't even like people being divided in their focus when we're having conversations with them. Like, isn't it the worst where you're just pouring out your heart and your soul? And then you know they're distracted and they're not listening to you. Right. So nobody's ever experienced that. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, well, I don't know, kind of. No, we, we all have experienced that. Some of us have been that person, right. right? Where somebody's pouring out their heart and soul or they just switch the topic like, oh, can you give me a soda? <laughs> so I, I'm just telling you, pour it, confessing my sin to you and you're, you're asking somebody for a soda? Like what in the world? We don't like an undivided heart. We don't like undivided conversations. We want undivided attention. And we say this from our kids. We, we make our kids repeat stuff back to us. I remember a, a good friend of mine, uh, I think I told you this before, but it's funny. We were, uh, we were in a conversation. He knew I wasn't listening. So he just started saying, yeah, I'm treating my wife horrible. Everything's going wrong in my life. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like, yeah, praise God. He's <laughs> like, bro, you're not listening to me. We don't like to be undivided in our relationships. I remember there was a girl that I was dating, and uh, this is before Jackie, this is before Christ, and uh, man, I thought she was the best thing since sliced bread. I don't even know where that idiom came from. I don't even know if it's an idiom, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I, I thought like she was awesome. Uh, we were together, like I don't know, for like two years, I think it was, and it was kind of a distance relationship. She lived in a different city, more of, I don't know, like infatuation, we were kind of like working in the music industry together and just, but I thought it was cool. And so long story short, she broke up with me. And then, uh, then I got saved, and I got saved, and then I went to, to my buddy's house and I saw her picture on the mantle with his brother. So I was like, and I just kept it like kind of cool, like, hey, uh, it's your brother, like, who's this girl? <laughs> oh, that's my brother's girlfriend. How long have they been going out? Yeah, about four years. I was the number two. He was the number one. Oh. Pride shot. Any ounce of anything I had inside of me. But I was redeemed at that. I'm like, oh, bless her heart. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart. Right? Just rough. Just rough. 
But, but the, the bottom line is this, is, is where our focus is, it's huge, because where our focus is, our focus will determine our decisions, right? And it, I'm not here to give you a self-help talk, but this is real talk. Our focus will affect our decisions. And I think if we're honest, one of the biggest issues that we have on the inside of us is a heart that's divided many times. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. Listen, I want you to acknowledge this. I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to see that many times there is this division. And I want to get you focused on one thing. The only thing. I want you to have an undivided focus. But, but here, here's the problem. The problem is, is that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Like any of you that says, I have a good heart. No, you don't. And we're all in desperate need for Jesus to give us a new one. Created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit on the inside of me. Ezekiel says, man, I will put in you a heart of flesh, a new heart. I'm not saying that people with wicked hearts can't do good things sometimes. But all of our hearts, they're, they're deceitful. And sometimes we find ourselves being lured in directions that we shouldn't be. We find ourselves being pulled about. There's a spiritual war that's real, ladies and gentlemen. There are real demons. There's a real devil. There are demonic entities, principalities that are at work to to try to get our attention, get our focus, get us preoccupied so that we begin to get divided in our trust and our focus and, and God begins to lose our attention and... We get distracted, and it goes bad. And it begins to affect our decisions, and it begins to translate into the rest of our life. Um, We just got a dog. I'm so excited. I've wanted a dog my whole life. (laughs) Finally got one. It's a man dog, too. It's a a canine. I'm going to train this guy to be amazing. But, but I've had him 48 hours, and uh, you know we're doing the whole potty training thing. And uh, 48 hours, uh, pretty much potty train. He sits. Uh, he stays. He focuses. He breaks. Like, shout out to Cali K9. He is doing, like, really, really good. But the thing, uh, the thing that's interesting is one of the things they tell you in the training is they said, man, when you're training your dog, don't be in a quiet spot. Get out there where there's so many distractions. They're going to have to learn how to live in distraction. They're going to have to learn how to focus in distraction, especially if they're a police dog. Like, like they, they need to be able, like, fireworks, gunshot, everything's going off, and they're just, they're just focused, just like, just give me the cue. Give me the cue. Woo, right? They, that's, there, there's, there's an un- divided focus. And so, so, the, so our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things, but, but then the Lord says in Proverbs 4.23, above all, guard your heart. So why do I got to guard this wicked thing? That's the point. Is when we realize that our heart is deceitful and it's wicked, you're going to guard it a little bit differently. You're going to see that it's more prone uh, to momentary affirmation and pleasure. You're going to see that we're more prone to deceit and deception. And so you're going to guard the intake you're going to guard what, what, what goes in. You're going to investigate what's happening on the interior. you got to guard it. It's the wellspring of life. The Bible says everything flows from our heart. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this way, the main human struggle is not between the heart and something else, but between forces that tear it in different directions, spiritual forces. The great battle is deciding to what your heart's greatest love, hope, and trust will be Directed. I know it's worded a little bit funny, but that's the quote. Um, but you get the point. And so, so let, let me just ask you a question. Where is your heart's mindset? 
Where is your heart's mindset? Like, like how, how, does this, how does this work out practically? Like, okay, Pastor Matt, my heart's wicked. That's awesome. So glad I came to church today. I got to guard this thing. But how does it work out practically? The writer of Hebrews says it this way. Make every effort to live at peace with everybody and to be holy because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. But without holiness, no one will see him. And holy just simply means to be set apart, to be unmixed to be singular focused. I'm set apart unto you, Lord. My life belongs to you. I'm not mixed up with all of these things. There was one guy, one guy that I heard a pastor telling a story, and he said, man, this guy told me, he said, pastor, you're gonna be so proud of me. You gotta come look at my spiritual room. Pastor was like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you went? Right, and so so he goes, and he said, "There's Buddha on the wall. There was like all these different, you know, different multiplicity of gods in the room. But then there was a big cross with Jesus on it." He said, "Pastor, look at that. Jesus, the biggest one in the room. Jesus is number one." And the pastor was like, "Man, I love you so much, bro. But Jesus can't be number one. Jesus has to be the only one. Totally, just like tear it all up." Spiritual room is horrible. <laughs> Have a great day. <laughs> I totally just demolished. Thought it was so good. So, but we can be deceived. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just the reality. But, but holy, it means to be unmixed. That I, I want you to think about this. Blessed are the holy, for they will see God. Blessed are the holy in heart, for they will see God. That's how some scholars actually translate that beatitude. And so, so I want you to get this picture, uh, an unmixed heart, because a lot of times what happens is we, we come to Christ and we get saved, and, and then we start to get our focus back onto ourselves, right? It's like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from hell and all eternity, wiping my sins away. Now I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps or my skinny jeans, and let me figure it out. Now, now the focus gets back on us, and it doesn't work that way. If you try to live holy without Christ, it's exhausting. You ever tried it? You ever try to like follow Him without Him? Like I'm gonna follow you, I just don't want to follow you. Anybody ever been there? No? Okay. Liars. <laughs> so, uh, so it's exhausting. It's it's frustrating. You try to walk in holiness apart from him. I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, when you understand the process of holiness correctly, the greater life, freedom, and love for God you'll have. The more you misunderstand how this takes place, the more wearisome, exhausting, and difficult the Christian life will become. You know, there was a painting at a garage sale that somebody picked up for 50 cents and later sold for 10 grand. Have you ever wanted to be that person? Like, I've always wanted to be that person. Like, we were going through our garage, we were going through our, our garage because we're getting ready to move. By the grace of God, we, we purchased a home. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you for all your prayers. It was a miracle. Long story, don't have a chance. God was totally in it. We're going to live in Mountain House. Uh, it's, it's a good stepping stone for us and so many miracles in the process. Didn't see it coming, but I'm going to share it with you one day. But first, we got to get in there and make sure it's really going to happen. Um, and so, so we're, we're going through our garage and... And I, I found some china. And I was like, man, babe, I wonder if this is worth thousands, right? We look it up on the internet, it's like 15 cents a plate. I was like, dang it, uh, hold on to it, put it in storage. Uh, but but there, was, there was this painting that was, that was purchased for 50 cents at a garage sale, sold for 10,000. It, it looks like this, not a very exciting painting, but 
10 grand. And so what they did is they brought it to a specialist. The specialist restored it. The specialist did not try to change the painting, just brought the painting back to what it was originally created to look like and to be. They're getting away the dirt and the grime and all that stuff. And, and so, so I, I want you to get this picture. Like when Christ, when Jesus becomes our Lord and our Savior, instantly we become all that God wants us to be positionally in Christ. Yeah. Track with me on this. But then there's this lifelong process of restoration. God, some, some may call it sanctification, where God starts to say, okay, positionally, you're forgiven, you're set free, you're a child of God, you're seated in heavenly places. All of that is a yes and amen, but we gotta work on your thinking. There's some patterns and some habits that I wanna begin to clean out and clear out and all that good stuff. And so the Lord begins this process of restoration, restoring all of the junk so that we can actually live uh, in, in the reality of who he's called us to be. Like positionally in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places, but sometimes our thoughts don't look like it. And sometimes the decisions that we make are not consistent with who we really are in Christ. Are you with me? And, and so, so this, this, is, this is so important that God has called us to a life of holiness. But if, if we are going to live holy, we have to think holy. We have to think holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore with minds, everybody say minds. Therefore with minds that are alert and set, minds set, your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With your minds fixed, another translation says, on this hope. You see how right away the intellect is engaged. A lot of times people think when you give your life to Christ, you like throw out your mind. Like some, that's what some people think about Christianity. You guys are just blind faith people, like whimsical thinking just believing that there's some guy in the sky. And that's, that's just so far from the truth. Christianity is not a blind faith. Uh, the, the reason why I believe that, the reason why I'm a Christian is not because I was raised as a Christian, not because of this or that. I'm a Christian because it's truth. Yeah. And, I, and I believe that all of history has been pointing to that culmination. And we just, that's a whole other message. I can't go there. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it couldn't be so far from the, from the truth. Our thinking is engaged. But the world's perspective is you become a Christian like you've lost your mind. Aren't you a critical thinker? How could you believe in something like that, right? And so you hear people say this, I'm not religious, I'm a thinker. I believe in science. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person that uses their mind. Surely I can't be one of you Christians. Like, you guys don't even use your brain. And I was like, whoa. Peter's like, man, that, that couldn't be so far from the truth. Next time you find yourself in a conversation like that, invite that person to spend the afternoon with you. Just say, hey, will you spend the afternoon with me? And the first thing they're going to ask you is, why? I don't know. It's love for you to spend the afternoon with me. Well, especially in, in here in the extension of Silicon Valley and the Bay Area, we, time is precious. Days are precious. And so, so people are like, oh, okay, I'd love to waste my day with you with no purpose, no intention. Sounds great. Let's sign me up. Let, let, put it on the calendar. No, because they, they want to know that there's purpose. They don't want to waste their time. And you can say, man, that, that's very true. If I, I understand you wouldn't want to waste your time. So if an afternoon is that precious to you, how about your life? What's, what's the purpose and meaning to your life? Well, I have a career. Okay, well, what are you working for? Like, what, what's, what's the end goal? What's the meaning of, for, for you working as hard as you do? Like, well, I'm providing for my family. Why? 
And, and you, you just keep asking the why. And all of a sudden, you, you start to see a shift in the conversation. Because they're like, well, well what do you, I, I don't know, well, because I want to be a good dad. Yeah, but what, what is your life? Why even live your life in such a way like that? What are you moving toward? Why will the world be different because of who you are? And why does that even matter? So if you're willing to not forfeit an afternoon, how about your life? And then they start to say something like this. Well, you're getting religious on me. I'm not going there. If I thought about that all the time, I'd be depressed. So in other words, you find your peace when not thinking. When not engaging the intellect. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I love how he words it again. This is a different translation. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. We're going to look at this verse the whole time, so just get used to it. See, Christianity is the exact opposite. Peter said, I want you to engage your mind. He says, I want you to be sober. This word sober, it, it's like the reflective work of a scholar putting together their best work. Like, I, I want you to be fully engaged. Paul said, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, your mind doesn't get left at the door. Your mind needs to get renewed. I, I love this word, preparing your minds for action. Another translation says, gird up your loins. Like, like, like it, back in Jesus' day, both the guys and the ladies wore robes a lot of times, long clothes, like baggy way back then. And uh, I thought it was funny. And so, so whenever they were going to, if they were going to prepare for action, they were going to prepare for action, they, they would have to, you know, take up their, their little their excess clothing and tuck it in so they can run or so they can, you know, get out there. Paul uses this term. It's a military term he uses in Ephesians when he's talking about the armor of God is as a soldier is on the battlefield preparing for war. Life and death is on the lines. He wants to tuck all of his stuff into the belt of truth so that there, there's, there's, there's no distraction. There's nothing getting in the way. There's free. I'm just free to focus on what my mission is and what I'm called to do. Peter said, I want you to think. I don't want you to just think philosophically either, like, oh, wow, Pastor Matt, so profound, so good. Oh, I love the scholar part. No, Peter's like, I want you to think how this, the implications of your faith affect every aspect of your life. How is your hope set on the grace of God and the return of Christ affecting your marriage, affecting your finances, affecting your decisions, affecting everything about your life? how you parent, your job, everything. How does it affect everything? Peter says, I want you to think. Hebrews chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse one and two, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We're all running a race. But then he says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So now he gives us the how the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, I want you to fix your eyes on the perfecter, not just the founder. A lot of times, again, we come to Christ, and it's like, thank you for finding me. Now I'm on to myself again. It's like, no, no, no. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Because he's the one that shapes us, refines us. He's the great restorer. The spirit of God comes and begins to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. But where our focus is fixed, it matters. 
And so, so, so the writer is saying, hey, listen, fix your eyes on the one who joyfully, joyfully suffered a brutal death for you. Joyfully. Like, like fix, like let that sink in until it's a reality every single day. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Fix your eyes. You know how when, you're, when you get fixed on something, and it's hard to get your focus or attention off of it. You're just so engrossed. I was listening to a, a podcast the other day, and he was saying that, you know, the blocks of time that you have, you, you want to, if you need to focus, you need to set about 30 minutes of block time. It's like the least amount to get a really good focus. And he said, once you break it, like check an email or answer the phone, he said, it takes you about 20 minutes to get back to that place of, of fixation. So we're just living in such a distracted world. It's hard to fix our eyes. And, uh, but you know, in those moments where, where anybody likes sushi in the house, when you got your heart and your eyes fixed on sushi, you're craving sushi. I, I, I promise you that they have to put something in sushi because it's, there's like this addictive nature to it. I don't know if we should like call Mythbusters and just see, is there something in sushi that produces dopamine or serotonin in the brain that draws us to pay a lot of money to eat this food. And, but, but when your eyes are, maybe you're like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> you have a sushi. And you know in those moments when, when everybody starts labeling something else, well, how about In-N-Out? How about Chick-fil-A? How are you like, no. Like nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will do because our minds are fixed. And so, again, Peter says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed of the second coming. You're gonna memorize this passage by the time we're done. He says, fix your eye. Look, look where he says to, to fix it on though. He says, set, another translation said fix. Fix your hope, where? On the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed. Like he wants us to focus that, like the return of Christ should be such a reality for us. It's, it's like we're living as if it's already happened. That's the language here. Like it's so before us. And it so propels us to action that affects every aspect of our life. But, but notice how he doesn't say, fix, set your hope on the event. And it's going to be glorious when Jesus returns. How many of you guys are so grateful that he's coming back for his bride? Whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, he's coming back. And I'm just so, like, just this the beautiful reality of that. But he says, don't, don't just set your mind there. And, and on the promises of God, I mean, imagine the inheritance. Imagine what, what awaits us on that glorious day. So, yeah, I want you to focus on the promise, but, but, but I want you to set your hope on the grace that you, that you and I didn't deserve any of this. That fixation will change your everyday life. This is not an elementary teaching. This is one that's easily taught, but rarely lived. Like if you're sitting here hearing my words right now, you're like, oh, fix my eyes on the grace, cute pastor. The grace, I'm grateful for the grace of God. I've been walking with Jesus 30 years. I know all about the grace of God. Listen, if that is not your lens every day, you stop thinking. Because about Paul, Peter, the entire New Testament, saying that this is, 
Paul talks so much about grace because what happened, Paul had an encounter with the Lord. He was radically changed, went away for three years in Arabia just to get his mind renewed. Most scholars believe he was, it was like the Lord was just teaching him personally, renewing all of his junk so that he can walk in everything that God had called him to be. There was a, there was a process of transformation. Positionally, when he, Jesus encountered him on that road to Damascus, positionally, his faith in Christ solid. But then the Lord said, man, I have great plans for you. And one of the great things that we see in the writings of Paul is the grace of God. Paul was so fixated on the grace of God. That's why many believe that Paul wrote the book of, of, of Hebrews. Um, but we don't really know that. But it's a lot of the writing in there. And Peter pointing to the grace of God. Fixing our eyes here. Are you guys, are you guys with me on this? This is, this is special. Because if what I'm saying to you today is not stirring your heart, maybe you've stopped thinking or you've lost sight of this beautiful reality that we, when we were undeserving of all of this, the grace of God from the one who joyfully went to the cross, amazing. So Paul says this way, he says, so finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. And he says, as a result of that, uh, what you've seen and what you've learned and what you've heard from me or you've seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can I just tell you, there's peace in a single-minded track that's fixated on the beautiful reality of Jesus, fixated on him, fixated on his grace. Does it stir your heart at all? This is the lens. It's the gospel. It's the grace of God that we begin to see life. We begin to see ourselves. We begin to see God. We begin to see others and see the world and even see our ministry through. It's through this beautiful reality that always keeps us in a posture of gratitude. That obedience is never a chore, but a delight. But it's a struggle. It can be. It's important, though, because where our focus is, our decisions will follow, and our decisions, what do they do? They'll reveal our obedience. If we're really living the life that we say that we're living, or like Frank Abinell, we're impostering. It's something that we're really not, and we'll live in the tension of that. Second Samuel chapter 23, I want to close with the story. King David, he's on the run from the Philistines. He's anointed as king. Philistines aren't excited about the plan of God, so they try to, try to mess it all up. They take over the region of Bethlehem, David's on the run with his mighty men. Men aren't really mighty when he first meets them. The Bible describes them as the, the guys that rally around David were in debt, distress, and discontent. And then what happened? David poured out his life into these men, and they became some of the fiercest warriors in the land and would go down to history forever in the biblical narrative. I mean, how, how incredible is that? And there was a moment as they were sitting on the hills, on, they were sitting in, in, I don't know if it was a, they were sitting in, in a place where David was weary. He was tired thirsty. So we just let out this sigh. I said, man, if I could just get a drink of water from that well outside of Bethlehem. And as men just hearing the very sigh of their king's heart, they begin to think. They begin to think of the implications. All that, all that David had done for them. All that this could cost them for a glass of water. Going into Philistine territory, risking their lives in the enemy camp for a drink. After considering all the implications, they, what did they do? They, they went back, came back and brought it to David. David was blown away. They said, here you go, king. Got you some water from that well. And David was like, uh, the only person worthy of this devotion is God. So he poured it out. 
He says, no way. That's amazing. You guys are incredible. Only person that deserves that is the Lord. Can I just tell you, will our hearts move at the very sigh of our king? Or do we always ask questions like this? Well, how far is too far? Am I pushing the line here? Is this really sin? Is it not sin? At the very sigh, they moved. There's such a freedom there. There's such a, a, a blessed life when you're living in that space. And it, it still comes back down to the same thing we were talking about the last three weeks. Happiness is not found by pursuing something you think you need. It's pursuing Jesus and letting him form you into the person he's called you to be. Is your hope fixed on his grace? Because let me just tell you, the King of Kings stepped out of heaven into time, into enemy territory, and joyfully went to the cross so that you and I could have a drink. And we definitely weren't worthy of that trip. But he didn't pour out his glass. He poured out his life. Where is your mind set? And is it set on the hope of his grace and the reality that he's coming back? That one truth, that one fixation will change everything. Change everything. How do you know grace is grace? Changes everything. It doesn't propel you to sin. It repulses you from it in light of all that he's done. That is very sigh. You'll respond in a heartbeat. Let me pray for you. Lord, we want to see you like that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see you. God, give us eyes to see. Lord, fix our minds on you. Like, fix them. Restore, renew. Open up our hearts to the beautiful reality, God, of your grace on our lives. May grace never get old. May, may we never grow out of grace. If that is the case, we've stopped thinking. And we've got our eyes off of you and on to us. We don't make very good perfectors of faith. So help us to get our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.